Uh, we're going to continue our series today uh, in the kingdom of heaven, looking at basically every spot in the book of Matthew where Jesus uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven or something like that. Uh, but Shakespeare, that great uh, writer, he said this, because today is about greatness. Uh, he said this, be not afraid of greatness. Some men are born great. Some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And I want to remind you this morning uh, that Jesus is great, and God is great because Jesus is God. <laughs> and, and, and as we think about greatness this morning, as we think about what does it mean to be great, to be awesome, to be the man, to be amazing, Jesus connected to a bunch of people who absolutely were not great. Most of them were bums. Like not in the bum like panhandling on the street, but like just not the greatest people in society. These rugged fishermen, this zealot who wanted to take over the government by force, uh, this tax collector who was an enemy of all of his people because he robbed them, they weren't very great. But Jesus gathered all these non-great people and called them to true greatness. And the reality is they, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they actually wanted to be great. Just like you and I want to be great. We want to be great at something. We, we all kind of have this desire. I, I like to just kind of like, God, can I just have one thing that I'm really, really good at? Like, I don't need 70 things. I just need one thing that I can be great at. They all wanted to be great. And the reason why we know that is because they talked about it a lot, <laughs> about being great and who was the greatest. And it's a question I think that even we ask, who is the greatest Christian ever? That's a question that I've asked. I've even made some speculation on who it might be. My top answer is Paul the Apostle. He's probably the greatest Christian, in my opinion. Imperfect as all of you are and, all, and I am. But, you know, he wrote half the New Testament. He went on a bunch of missionary journeys. Like, I haven't done any of that. I didn't write any of the New Testament. And neither did you. I've been on some missionary journeys, but not like he went on. But who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that's the question that is on the minds of the disciples because they want to achieve greatness. And so if you've got your Bible open now, Matthew 18, we're going to look at what Jesus, at his answer of what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18 it says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the, in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Thank you very much. I'm glad I came to church today. Greatness. We, as a society, are fascinated by it. We want to know who the greatest of all time is in every aspect of life, the goat. We're enamored with status, position, power, intellect, followers, skill. We're mesmerized by it. But if we were to ask Jesus like the disciples did, what what are the greatest characteristics of a person of the kingdom of heaven? I'm confident that his answer would be nothing like any of our answers. It, It would be the exact opposite of all of our answers because we would look to those things like they've been a Christian for X number of years Decades and decades. Look how they've served in the church all these years. Look how well they know the Bible. I could never memorize that much scripture. You know, they're at church almost every Sunday. That was a joke if you didn't get it. (laughs) Because none of us are at church every Sunday. Not even me. And I get paid to be here. But I have vacation too sometimes. We would look at those things and look at sort of these outward characteristics. Yet Jesus would answer in a wholly different manner. Because the greatest people in the kingdom recognize their complete dependence on Christ. The greatest people in the kingdom recognize they are utterly dependent on Jesus. That their status, their intellect, their willpower, their skill set, the talents they have, those are not the things that make you great. In God's kingdom, the thing that makes you great is complete dependence on him. That's why he pulls this young child in the midst of these kind of burly men, I'm sure intimidated as all get out, because children in the ancient culture had no status, had zero status. And I'm sure this child is scared to death to be in front of all these men. And he says, this is how you become great in the kingdom, to be a child, dependent on everything, just like a child is dependent on his parents or her parents for everything. Because children can't provide for themselves. They can't support themselves. They don't even have the life experience or the education and the wisdom necessary to survive. Can you imagine? I I think back to our boys when they were younger, and thankfully, Brandy was in charge of the feeding most of the time. Because I'm not good with messes at all. I I can make them pretty well, but I'm not good with it. But can you imagine... You're nine month old in the high chair, and you just put in the back in the day the Gerber, the glass Gerber baby jar and the spoon and said, See you in 15 minutes when I'm done eating. Have at it. 
What would have happened? Your child would have knocked the spoon off first and then the glass Gerber baby jar onto the floor and made a mess. And if they were skilled enough as a nine-month-old to crawl out of the high chair and fall out of it so they could actually get the food, they would have cut their arm after they broke it, falling out, cut their arm on the glass, and then licked the ground and cut their tongue. That's babies. And that's how God says for us to come to this place. If you want to be great, become like a child who's dependent completely on someone else. I remember when I was growing up and even our kids, when you got to be old enough and if you liked red meat enough, some kids don't, I don't understand why, but where you would have steak. Can you imagine handing your four-year-old, here's you a nice filet or a ribeye and a big steak knife? It's all yours, buddy. Do what you can. No, you, you have to cut it for them. They would manage, right? At least I would have managed, stab it with the fork and just, you know, hold the fork awkwardly because that's what kids do. We hold the fork backwards when we're a kid and eat but we forget that somewhere between eight years old and 80 years old. We forget what it means to be dependent, to humble ourselves, to say, you know what, Jesus, I need you in this moment and every moment. So the question I have for us is, does your life demonstrate dependence on Jesus or have you simply used him to gain admission into the kingdom? Have you simply used Jesus to punch your ticket to heaven and now life is all about you and your will? Or have you surrendered yourself like a child coming to him for everything? Trusting in him and him alone. Because the greatness of humility, the, the grace of living a life of humility, coming like a child who cannot do anything for himself, the greatness of that is our willingness to accept an inferior position. Most of us at some point in life, we are no longer willing to accept the inferior position. But the greatness of humility is living a life constantly Willing to surrender our position, our place, our goal, our agenda, our way for others. That's the greatness of the kingdom. And it's only possible when we humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves before our king and we humble ourselves before our neighbors, before our friends, before our enemies, before our family members. And as Jesus brings this little child before his friends, they knew immediately that a child had no position, no status. No status in the ancient world. Our modern American culture has flipped that upside down. Children have all the power today. Children run our lives. 
And so it's hard for us to imagine this because we bend our will to serve their will in the name of giving them a better life than we had. And so it's hard for us in contemporary modern suburbia to get this. But Jesus calls us to a place of recognizing that we don't have any rights. We have no rights. We live in a dependent position. And we looked at this same idea a few weeks ago, months ago, when we looked at James and John, the two great brothers who wanted to sit on the right and left of Jesus. They wanted to have the positions of honor, and and that's what they wanted, and that's what we want. We want to have the place of honor. We want it our way. And when we don't get our way, when we don't get the position we want, we don't get the answers we want, we don't get the method we want, we don't get to do it our way, oftentimes we seek to take it by force. We stomp our feet and demand that it be our way. And God looks at us and says, where are my children? Because I know some kids who do stomp their feet and demand and want it their way. And usually they get grounded. You know them too if you have them. Because we all have them. And I was one. But Jesus is helping his disciples see and and I pray helping us see that it's not about our way. It's not about demanding my rights. It's not about arguing my position. It's about coming to faith dependent on the one and only king. And so I'm going to take the inferior position. I'm going to take the position of humility. And I'm going to honor others who take the same position. Because Jesus wants to honor those who honor the lowly. Jesus wants to honor those who honor the humble. He wants to Honor those who give honor in the right place. Because it's one thing to be exalted by man, it's a whole nother thing to be exalted by God, to to be exalted by the King of Kings, to be lifted up and to be shown faithful and true, to be to be called out as as a humble, wonderful servant of the King. Well done, good and faithful King, servant. Servant. And so when you and I live by faith, when we stand humbly on the truth of God's word, when we pray for our enemies rather than attacking them, when we serve the Lord in a, in a great way with others and we don't care who gets the credit, that's when we achieve greatness. 
When we see the best in someone instead of the worst, that's when God is honored. When we give people grace and mercy, when we extend the benefit of the doubt, I have to do that often when I'm riding in the car, when I see someone go past me or tailgate me. I need to see the best in them, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they have to go to the bathroom really bad. I need to help them get on their way. But no, we want to demand and argue. And normally what I do in that case is I let off the gas and slow down so they can't pass. And I honor myself and thereby dishonor the Lord. But I wonder, do we, do we seek this? We don't. We don't seek this. But look at who David honored, or David. Look who God honored. David is one of those. He honored Mary. He favored the lowly Mary. God honored David, the, the forgotten brother in the field. He honored Hannah, who earnestly desired to devote her son to the Lord. He honored the woman at the well, this woman who had no business being a part of society, who had messed up her life completely over and over and over again. And Jesus honors her simply by speaking to her, much less giving her the words of life. The man born blind. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And the crippled guy with four amazing friends who are willing to foot the bill to repair a man's roof so their friend could see Jesus. They tore up a guy's house so their friend could see Jesus. Because he couldn't take care of himself. And God exalted them. And he's calling us to utter dependence on him. Not just utter dependence on him, but also to realize, to understand who we are without him. For some of us, we've been in this Christian bubble for a long time. And we forget who we are without him. And perhaps today is a reminder to forget, to forget about seeking our own honor, to forget about position, to forget about demanding our way, but rather to walk humbly like a child coming. I, 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 kids are great because they naturally love and trust. They naturally do that. And that's what Jesus is pointing us to, to naturally love and trust him and love and trust others. And if you and I don't get that exactly right and we do the opposite, watch out. There's some strong words for someone who doesn't want to honor those that God honors. 
that doesn't want to exalt and lift up young believers particularly, those who believe in me, he says. If we lead them astray, it's better that you'd be thrown in Clear Creek with a giant millstone around your neck. And I know all of us are great grain farmers, but a millstone is a giant wheel that has a hole in the middle. It makes a great charm for your necklace. It's this heavy stone, and they, they put two together, and they roll them back and forth, back and forth to crush grain. It's better for you to have that giant stone around your neck and thrown in the sea than to mess with one of God's children, to lead them astray, to call them to sin. And we reminded this morning there are grave consequences for those who cause the lowly to stumble. Jesus is abundantly clear that the lowly, the dependent, those desperate for him, those obedient to his calling, those people matter to God. And if you and I would be so arrogant, so prideful, that we would cause one of them to go astray, be warned, there are grave consequences. And I'm not sure I really like this saying because I've been guilty of this. Where I don't give a young believer the benefit of the doubt. Where I don't help someone along the way, but rather I chastise them in a way that's ungodly. When I demand my way, when we think we're better than a fellow believer. This is a tough, difficult saying. It's when we think we're the greatest, we think getting our way is the right answer. When proving our point is the only thing that matters. When wanting to be called the greatest of all time, whether we believe it or not, because most of us wouldn't believe it. God points us to the simple obedience of a child. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I got an ESPN joke right here, but it's probably not appropriate. <laughs> it's okay. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. My question for all of us is have you come like a child today? Have you come like a child, ready to love your Savior with all of who you are, without abandon, which is what kids do. They go without abandon to be completely dependent on them because you know that without him, you're sunk. 
You, you're, you're, you're not going to make it without him. And so I want to be completely dependent upon him. Have you come like a child today? Let me pray for you.